Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first podcast of 2023. <laughs> Big moment. Who thought we'd still be here after a year? So thank you to all of you who've been emailing us on openupchap at gmail.com. We really, really do enjoy hearing from you and getting your feedback. And as we have a whole new year stretching ahead of us, so if you have any ideas you want to discuss, new ways of doing stuff that you'd like to share, then do get in touch with us. Don't be shy and don't wait to be asked. And do let us know about it on openupchap at gmail.com. Enough of me blethering on. Let's get to our first guest of the year and someone whom Joe is poised to introduce. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, we've got a guest today, Amar Jod Lander, who's a well trained as a GP, but has now moved into palliative care. And Amar Jod has a very interesting role because he combines his doctoring with a chaplaincy role. And I think it'd be really interesting today to talk about um, Sikh practitioners and their approach and their rationale processing of their role, but also to talk about specific needs of speech seek patients and their families so welcome Amajod. thank you very much thank you for allowing me to be on the special podcast <laughs> and i think perhaps a good place to start will be to find out why you started to explore and then uh, trained as a chaplain yeah um so i guess it goes right back to um an individual why do they want to become a chaplain so I guess from a relatively young age, um, I've always been interested in spirituality, spiritual practice, and then how that influences and guides my practice and the decisions I make in life, and how I can use that to help people and be compassionate towards them. And so I guess from my own reflections on my own practice, it kind of naturally evolves into a, a chaplaincy role and having those discussions with people and being non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. Those are important qualities for a chaplain and something that you almost fall naturally into, I found. Oh, well, I think some people do and some people don't <laughs> naturally fall into it. And I think, you know, my impression of you, Amajod, is that you're one of those special doctors who understands the spiritual side as being part of yeah. physical care as well, an important part of that. Yeah. Um, so tell us some more then about the role of spirituality in your life and in your practice. Yeah, so I guess spirituality to some degree affects everyone differently. You almost have a ladder of priorities, whether that be sort of your physical health, um, psychological health or spiritual health, um, how relationships fit into that. And I guess at different stages, you may put spirituality at the top or it may be somewhere at the bottom. I guess for me, spirituality has almost been nearer the top for most of my life. And trying to find a job <laughs> which incorporates that is um it's almost a privilege i think you'd mm. agree 
So when I went into medicine, I then naturally you learn about the medications and the illnesses, how to treat those. Um, first started off as a GP, which again is um, quite a, a good path that looks at the patient and people as a whole. How are their social setups influ influencing their health, psychological impact, um, their spirituality, how does that influence their decisions, which then impact on their health and the whole person. And I found um, that was very fulfilling for me as well, because I could almost empathize with, with someone's spiritual distress, mm. having gone through that myself. Mm. And did you find that uh, you just saw that in terms of the widest human understandings of spirituality uh, and were the times when it became perhaps more religious and you know was there was there ever a, a difficulty there for you or did it just come naturally i think it's it's quite difficult because um almost the two roles are a bit well defined so as a chaplain you can there's the the humanist type characteristics which are in both categories being um being a doctor and being a chaplain so that's understanding someone's sadness, being compassionate, um, non-judgmental, mm -hmm. being humble whilst listening and talking to them. Um, and almost as a chaplain, you can be almost allowed that freedom to delve into their religion a bit more. Mm -hmm. Medical practice, almost, um, you, you can delve into their religion if they so allow it, but... Mm -hmm there's almost a little bit of a barrier there as well that you don't want to come across preachy <laughs> from a from a position of of almost from an elevated position of as being their doctor you don't want to be preaching mm. as well mm -hmm. um which i guess for myself is quite nice having both of those roles it allows that freedom to discuss things that what people want to discuss I think especially in palliative care, that's the case. Those boundaries blur, don't they? And you can sort of switch between conversations, I assume, more easily than um, than in other contexts. I'm interested, just going back to the GP primary care context, and because I think there's a real potential for chaplaincy to assist in that space as well. And I'm just wondering about your views about whether you see there's an opening there too. Yeah, there's always, um, GP is very unique in that there isn't, there, there's, you can go into anything, <laughs> that there, there's, there's avenues to explore any option which is related to patient care and what distresses patients is something that we can assist with and how that fits into primary care would be about that holistic approach so mm. what things are affecting them psychologically mm. and spiritually i guess the systems at the moment aren't particularly set up for that mm. but nevertheless there is always a need and that kind of existential distress mm. it's there throughout life so it isn't 
you see it more commonly when someone is approaching the end of life and families and patients ask those questions why me or what's going to happen when i'm going to die but that type of existential distress is there throughout life whenever mm. there's adversity an illness questioning any type of stress not necessarily even when there's stress that existential distress can still just be there mm. and i guess for primary care it would be helpful to have those resources that they can refer to mm. so that patients can access that support mm. no i think that's so true about this concept of existential stress being something that pops up throughout life and sometimes people don't even know when it's going to pop up mm. and um, a sort of forced stay in hospital in an acute setting or in prison if someone's locked up can mm. bring all of that existential stress to the surface but I loved your phrase, freedom to delve, you know, and I think that's that's a very nice way of talking about chaplaincy as mm, well. Yeah. You know, that you that you you can delve, you can ask questions, you can find out what people are thinking through not being intrusive, but being sort of quite inquiring and interested and compassionate. And mm. and um, it's not that doctors and other uh, clinical staff don't have the freedom they don't have the time to delve at mm. the moment particularly it's mm. that time to delve which is also very precious i think i was just going to ask you in terms of the the delving um i, I volunteered in a gp practice providing spiritual and pastoral support i'm very clear that it's spiritual and pastoral uh, rather than religious i don't tend to wear my uh, dog collar i don't think i ever have actually if it, I would be open about it if sort of asked, but actually it's not about me. I'm I'm delving with the patient and giving them a chance to explore those existential issues. Uh, and if you don't mind me saying, you know, you're very clearly Sikh. So does that um, in in intrude for the benefit of our listeners? <laughs> You know, uh, I think you could, you you would clearly, if you know anything about such things, you would clearly identify Amajad as a as a Sikh. Um, does that enter into your discussions or the the style of the relationship? I think, from my perspective, no, because I actively don't pursue a a religious spin on it. Mm. More simply, a, a spiritual nature of, of the discussions yeah. um i from a patient's perspective i can see it goes both ways <laughs> and i think that's just yeah um the way life is different yeah. colors of the rainbow some people would perceive visually me as being uh, religious and um preachy or dogmatic but, <laughs> <laughs> but that but that would um yeah and that that's fine. That's that's how that's how they perceive things and may not want to discuss things. But on the other side, they may find um, my appearance or my consultation style quite comforting. And mm. Be free to talk about mm. um, religion or spiritual distress, which again I'm absolutely fine with. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, for the benefit again of uh, our, our listeners, uh, I'm sure you can hear in the gentleness of Amajud's voice, but uh, his whole style is, is very 
gentle. So I, I can imagine people see you as religious. I, I can't imagine how they would see you as preachy. But, but you know, yeah, it, it does take uh, all kinds, as you say, all colours of the uh, of the rainbow. And the, there's plenty of variation there. But I must say, for me, having worked with a Sikh colleague, I see all the real benefits of... Um, seek belief in a workforce and in a team in terms of um, the commitment to justice, the commitment to equality, the respect uh, that's intrinsic in the religion in terms of advocacy for every belief, defenders of faith, wherever it is. And I don't think that's particularly well understood outside the Sikh religion. I don't know if that's your impression as well. Yeah, I would agree um, that the natural tendency um, is to perceive everyone as quite secular or mm. um, individual categories. Um, I think so. There's almost the just briefly going on Sikh philosophy. The main principle is that there is only one God and creation and creator and everything all one. And from that, everyone has got inside of them, therefore everyone is equal. Mm-hmm. And in order to realize that there's almost, you have to humble yourself. And there's there's three things that Sikhs um, simplify by. So one is um, Nam Japana, and that is, that is to remember God in order to remain humble. Uh, the second one is Girtakarnath, so to earn an honest living and therefore um, work hard, not lie, earn money by honest means. And the last one is Vandakechakana, which is to share with others. So that's to share your time and your wealth and knowledge. Um, and I guess by those, th- those things, um, one can remain compassionate. And you, mm. you can ensure that you look at everyone equally and as best you can do, mm. which are good qualities for any human, particularly exactly. for chaplains it's, it's... and doctors. Yeah, yeah. We, we may share a lot of those different values within uh, the humanist tradition, within the various religious traditions. But, the, you know, the, the real joy, I think, of working as a team, apart from our own individual practice with, with patients, but is that even as you were speaking, I was able to reflect on Christian values and how they might be reflected and shaped. Because you're presenting just slightly differently to what I normally hear. So it it challenges me to question and think about my own beliefs and perhaps try and understand the wider beliefs of the group, the team of the chaplains that I happen to be part of. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's really, I, I always used to you know, value um, particularly Abbas, you know, my Muslim colleague, he always had a story. <laughs> Uh, to fit any situation uh, from the Islamic tradition. And yeah, it, it really enriches. But that's that's one of the, one of my central beliefs about what chaplaincy should be. You should have mixed teams yes. who work across beliefs, not this separate, I'm, I'm a Sikh, I go and see the Sikhs. I'm a Christian, I go and see the Christians. 
and then no dialogue between you about how different your approaches are or how to find a way of communicating and being with everybody and um I just think we're, we're, we're the richer for actually having those conversations between ourselves. And unless we understand each other's motivations, explanations, spiritual selves, existential selves, how can we hope to understand patience? If it doesn't start at home on your team, mm, yes. then, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Yes. So let me let me take you back to because we people listening to this podcast, Emma Jod, will will come across um, seek patients um, at Bradford where I work. We at any one time we've got about seven seek pa seek patients in the hospital. It's not a lot of people, so we come across them occasionally. I'm really glad that we've got our seek volunteers back because that gives me some confidence that we are checking ourselves and we have someone to to to. Um, to ask opinions of and to 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 uh, send to particular patients but for um staff who might or people who might be listening what guidance can you give people about um how to work with seek patients in a way that's culturally spiritually religiously sensitive i guess with with all um followers of any faith there is variation but on largely, so a, a baptized Sikh would have a spiritual practice, and that would be an internal one and an external one. So internally, they would try and follow those three principles, working hard, their prayers, which are morning, evening and nighttime. And that's reflected on the outside, so Sikhs have an external practice, which again helps their internal spiritual needs so Sikhs follow have five Ks so those are five items which they keep with them 24 hours a day and so the first one is case which is their hair so we never cut our hair um, from birth and that is to represent acceptance of how God created us that's how we stay and obviously looking after that is important so never to cut it to keep it clean and tidy which again can be a bit more tricky while someone is unwell in hospital the second one is a wooden comb a ganga so that stays with us in our hair and again that's to represent to, to physically keep our hair clean but to remind us to keep our thoughts and mind clean as well the third one is the kara, so that's um, a, a bangle which we keep on our hands and that is to remind us to do good actions so it's almost like a handcuff to god so wherever we put our hands god is with us not to steal and so on the fourth one is the kachera so that's um undergarments which are tied with a knot and that's to remind us to remain to keep a moral life so we keep that with us 24 hours a day, almost. We are never without that, so we're never without clothes. And again, that reminds us to stay with one husband, one wife, to be a more, have a, um, leave a life of fidelity rather than be adulterous. And the last one is the Girban, which is a sword. And histor historically, Sikhs have been a 
warrior tradition, always fight, fighting in, for justices against oppressive regimes. And mentally that reminds us to, again, fight against bad actions, fight against oppression, injustices, treat everyone equally. So those, those things most Sikhs would have with them at all times. And particularly whilst a Sikh is unwell in hospital, they're already distressed, they have a physical illness, and helping with maintain those 5Ks respectfully is really important. So mm. if, you, if you can imagine someone has never been without their underpants for the entirety of their life, but then they're a bit drowsy or a bit unwell, and then that's just completely taken off and they're just left with a hospital gown, Mm. and they wake up with that that's obviously quite distressing so those things to be aware of um are really important do you have um any kind of tradition of uh dispensation that either can be granted or you can grant to yourself in those situations i'm thinking within the islamic tradition for instance during ramadan in healthcare situations or pregnancy or infirmity uh, you know, you're not obliged to to fast and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm thinking of surgery. Uh, as someone with a beard, I, I know it was once suggested that to facilitate uh, breathing um, uh, and, uh, and the attachment of a mask, uh, that I, I should shave my beard off. Um, I, I don't think that's quite such a concern these days. I think we've got better ways of handling it. But certainly in surgery, it's not unusual to have your uh, surface skin shaved for hygiene reasons. Um, so do, do you have any sort of built-in dispensation route? There isn't any formal um, laws to bypass that, for example. Um, Sikh religion is less about laws and it's more about using the tools in order to find compassion and remain humble so there is an element of practicality around it at which level each individual Sikh follows that is different so some Sikhs may may ask God this is required um this medical procedure which God themselves has ordered then for, for that, I'm required to take off um, some elements of the 5Ks. I kind of ask for forgiveness and so on. Mm -hmm. Some some Sikhs may not choose not to do that. Um, for example, last year I had appendicitis and um, I just requested that none of my hair was shaved during the operation, which the surgeons obliged by at the risk of infection and so on, wound healing. But that, that was my personal choice. And mm -hmm. equally, some of the Sikhs um, have chose similar. Um, ultimately, it's just about using the tools to remember God, to re remain humble, and how one uses that. Um, it's not for us to judge. That's their relationship between them, their 5Ks, and yeah. God. Yeah, I think the key thing you said there is is involving people in those decisions, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and when a decision's been made and people come round and find they haven't been part of it, that's more stressful. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful advice. 
Yeah, and I think that's one word I'm glad to see the back of, you know, but it used to be quite a regular phrase in healthcare, whether a patient was compliant or not, actually. <laughs> are we complying? Are we the ones that are compliant with the uh, patient's wishes? But, um, you know, th these are the kind of things we're still uh, battling for justice within healthcare in, in some quarters. So, so yeah, that, that, that was... Good, good to hear. Can I go back, Amajod, to the um, tradition of daily prayers and when those happen and what form they might take? Because I think that's something else that um, would be helpful, particularly in acute settings where people are in several bays, in a bay with several beds. You know, are those prayers shared with family? Are they out loud? Are they internal? Yeah, so... The almost um, recommended or baseline prayers are, so there's five prayers in the morning, which takes about 50 minutes to an hour. There's an evening prayer, which takes about 20 minutes, and then a prayer before you go to sleep, which is five minutes. And those prayers um, can be done individually, they can be done together, they can be read out loud or they can be read by a prayer book. Um, equally, they could be listened to. There are mobile apps which have them now. Mm -hmm. There isn't any particular restriction or um, formal prerequisite to do those prayers. It's more that those prayers are for the individual to remember and praise God. Mm -hmm. And however they wish to do that some people may have them may do them off by heart in the head equally they may wish to simply wash their hands and read them from the from a prayer book those those are all absolutely fine mm -hmm. and there isn't a particular time restriction so tra traditionally the morning prayers the earlier the better before sunrise um but equally illness takes many different um impact on the body and whenever one can do them that, mm. that's absolutely fine mm. i was just going to pick up on what you said there about washing your hands before you touch the prayer book and for so cleanliness is a big part of the Sikh tradition as well and you've talked about that in terms of keeping your hair and and the 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 undergarments and so forth so again when people find themselves in a, a healthcare setting where perhaps those traditions aren't fully understood how could staff be more sensitive to um, those um, requirements, really? They're not just traditions, they're sort of requirements for cleanliness. Could you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's very difficult having, I understand the pressures on acute settings and the wards. Mm. There aren't always showers and things available. Equally, patients aren't always up to having those physical um, activities of daily living done. I guess at the, so Sikhs, Sikhs would have a shower every day. Um, and running water is an important part of that, isn't it? The fact it's running water rather than a bed bath or washing. Yeah, and I guess it's, the, it's just maintaining cleanliness. Mm. Um, so washing with water every day to your order, just to respect the body that we've been given and 
if we are to then ensure that our body is clean, our mind can stay clean. There is an almost a, a ritualistic practice around it, mm. but, but obviously having family and friends assist with that um, mm. stuff can help with that. Mm. It's go, again going back to the patients and asking them what's important to you. Mm. Would you like us to help with getting washed today? Is there anything that you need today? anything that we can help with mm. those are the important things mm. yeah I, I, i'm just thinking in terms of the prayers and uh being able to bathe early in the day uh particularly the five prayers early in the morning as early as possible of course that is does tend to be when wards are at their most hectic isn't it you know breakfast getting the patients up and so there's quite a lot of uh, pressure on, on staff uh, anyway, that doesn't mean that they should dispense with the, the you know the care of the spiritual needs of the patient. But it's it's finding that balance, and I I, I am struck by the way that um, the the Sikh tradition is is seems to be accommodating and. Uh, almost to the point of being relaxed, you know, it's quite a chilled religion, if that's, uh, <laughs> apart from when you're fighting for justice, of course, but um, there is that, um, there is that sort of uh, gentleness, but I suppose, is there a danger that if you are always accommodating, that you may be overlooked? No, it's fine, it's fine, I don't need to do my prayers. I think maybe that's the way I'm portraying it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, a huge part is not judging others um, and really for the relationship of spirituality to be between one's own soul and and God. Yeah. And how, however they wish to enact that throughout difficult times in hospital illness, is up to them and I wouldn't want to judge anyone harshly but equally we can all try try our best as clinical staff and so on to assist patients in that. So we were talking earlier and you mentioned um, I think a really interesting thing about how physical pain, spiritual pain is part of a journey and part of a pathway. I don't know if you could talk a bit more about how people might process that pain and think about that pain in relation to your faith. This is um, quite a difficult topic philosophically, as I'm sure you understand um, pain and spirituality you could write reams on. To try and summarise it, what my belief would be. So again, there's different types of physical pain. Um, this pain you can get from the outside or this pain that can originate from the body. From a spiritual point of view, how these types of pains um, differ from one another could be questionable. So is, is psychological distress different from physical pain? One could argue they are, but equally you could argue they're not. Um, for a Sikh, I would say spiritual pain and distress tops all of those. So that separation from God and being an ego, that is kind of the true pain. And that would top any type of physical pain. 
And from our history, there have been many martyrs um, who have shown that actually physical pain of the body isn't the priority and actually standing up for truth and helping others in that idealism of being one with God and humble is the is the priority. Now there's there's one line um, that Sikhs use in prayer um, which is very helpful for me. So that is Dukdaru Sukarogpaya Ja Sukdamnahoi. So that means Dukdaru. So duk is pain and daru is medicine. So actually you spinning it around that that mindset to be positive that that phys that pain is a medicine and happiness is a rogue, happiness is a disease. So you can take this in many contexts. So for example, um if if for example I had appendicitis, it's a physical pain, but actually the medicine of that was I reevaluated my life at that moment in time. I thought, what happens if this appendicitis does not get better, if there's a complication during surgery? And for that moment, I then thought, everything that has happened up until now is almost irrelevant. It's this moment, this breath right now, that I need to remember God by. Wow. And that's a medicine. Um, mm. Equally, sukrog, a happiness, um, having lots of wealth or being comfortable, um, absorbed in physical pleasures of life you could become lazy or you could become yeah. forgetful of god you could become egotistical and that kind of pleasure could lead to pain which is a pain of ego so it's it's almost a using that physical pain um as a lesson the level at which one does that is dependent upon their spiritual practice and understanding mm -hmm. But for me, that's that's an important way of looking at it. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And uh, I think you've given uh, a topic for chaplaincy teams up and down the country to discuss and uh, to, to learn from each other. Just unpicking, you know, pain is medicine and uh, happiness, joy is, is, a, is a disease, um, you know. And as you expanded on that context, you know, because uh, obviously it's almost an oxymoron or you know twice over uh but uh you know actually if you stop to think you can see parallels in other faiths and as you've out laid out you know the the, the challenges in that that's probably a really good place to uh mm. to to finish on so thank you ever so much Amajad. that's been uh really brilliant you've given us a lot to think about a lot to 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 work with um so again, please get in touch with us at, uh, if there's anything you want to pick up on with this session or any of our podcasts. And as I say, we're looking for people to come and uh, join us if you've got something you would like to share with, uh, with the whole planet and you're looking at our <laughs> distribution. There may be few of us, but we're well spread. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, so it's uh, open up chap at gmail.com open up chap at gmail.com uh we really like to hear so from 
from me, Stig Grimm. It's uh, bye for now. And bye from me, Joe Matlow. Thank you very much. Thank you, Amajad. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Amajad. Bye then. Bye, everyone. Bye now.